Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. We're in the book of Genesis still, chapter 21 today. Uh, Now Pastor Wayne finished last week the end of chapter 20. And my portion actually is Genesis 21 verses 8 to 21. But I want to pick up actually where he left off. We could put that on the screen, chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. Hard to see it from up here, so I'm going to read it from my Bible. I'm reading from the New King James Version. So it might be a little different than yours, okay? So, and the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah, as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. You may sound, you may think, well, that's not so unusual. These were very elderly people, 90 and 100 years old. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Isaac bore him, Isaac, I'm sorry, whom Sarah bore to him. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight years old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear it will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, in a world that is going crazier by the moment. We thank you that we have you to guide us and to lead us. And your word is truth, and it's powerful. And so, Lord, this morning, anoint your servant. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. The last several chapters have been about Abraham and God's promise to him. And just a little bit of a recap here, a little bit of a background. What were God's promises to Abraham and Sarah? Well, number one, Abraham was the very first Israeli the very first Jew. And God told him that out of his body, his own body, descendants would come. Now you might say, once again, that's not very unusual. Well, it was because Abraham and Sarah could not have children. God also said they would occupy certain real estate. He said that Israel would be a blessing to the whole world. And we've seen that come to pass. As a matter of fact, the real estate is still very much there after 3,000 years. The blessings to Israel and the world have been both physically and spiritually. And today we will concentrate on the spiritual. And of course, the spiritual part includes the patriarchs, the prophets, the Bible. Finally, God himself would show up in human form and walk among us in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that salvation is of the Jews. Be very careful how you treat the Jews. I've actually heard some Christians say, well, I don't know about the Jews. They're God's chosen people. God has not forgotten the Jews. In fact, Paul addresses this very directly in Romans 9 to 11. He set aside the Jews just temporarily. We're called the church. We're here now. When we're gone in the rapture, and that's a subject for another day, once again, Israel will be in the spotlight. Getting back to Abraham. Abraham was 75 years old 
when God promised him he would be a father. And his wife was 65. What would you do if you were 75 years old and God said, I'm going to give you a kid? You'd probably do the same thing they did. They, they started to laugh. You know, when we recap verses 1 to 7, which we just read, it basically says that God's promise to Abraham was supernatural. And everybody around them knew that. Now, Abraham, when God told him this, probably tried to believe, yeah, I do trust you, Lord. Well, we don't know if he did or not. Has God ever made you a promise? And you really didn't believe it? And you said, yes, Lord, I do believe. But help me in my unbelief. Well, you're not alone, because in Mark 9, 24, a father brought his son to Jesus to cast out an evil spirit, and this is exactly the answer that he gave him. Yes, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. We're all somewhat like that, you know, and Abraham was no different. God had to remind him again in chapter 15, the promise that he had made him previously in chapter 12. And God very forcefully, very bluntly said in 15, for he said, you will be a literal father in your old age. Verse 6 says that Abraham believed God and he counted unto him for righteousness. No matter how much faith you have, believe God. No matter the circumstances, he will honor you. He will increase your faith. In the very next chapter, 16, we have two new people come on the scene that have, should have never been in this story. And of course, that's Hagar and Ishmael. We're going to address them in a few moments. Ten years had passed. Abraham was now 85. Sarah was 75 and still no baby. How would your faith go at this point? I think their faith was starting to falter, but not totally. They had just enough faith to mess things up. <laughs> Have you ever had messy faith? You know, they thought they would help God out with their problem. Has anybody ever done that? Don't raise a hand. I think we've tried to change the circumstances. We've got into this situation. Well, that didn't work. We went into the other situation. And what happens in the end? Well, you know the answer. God has to come to the rescue. He always has. He always will. I want to make a point here. If God makes you a promise, don't let anybody, nobody talk you out of it. Your spouse, your kids, your parents your best friend, he made the promise to you, nobody else. You hold on to that promise. He still makes individual promises, and he comes good at just the right time, and my life has borne that out, and we'll maybe talk about that another time. Do you know what the hardest thing is for us to do when God makes us a promise? Do you know what the hardest thing is? Wait! Wait! We want it to happen yesterday, not today or tomorrow. You may be praying for a job, maybe a situation within your job. You may have a family situation, maybe a serious medical condition. Maybe you're waiting for a phone call from the doctor. Isaiah 60 and 22 says, I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. I like the New Living Translation. It says, I will make it happen at just the right time. God is never late. Never, never, never. After Sarah thought that she had a better plan than God, and you know what that plan was. She said, you know, Abraham, we're getting pretty old here. What do you think the chances are of having a kid? Well, we know that Sarah laughed. She, their faith 
faltered. He said, go in and, she said, go in and take my handmaiden, and she will bear you a son. And when Hagar became pregnant, I'm pretty sure that tensions grew in the house. An infighting between Sarah and Hagar multiplied as the days, the months, the years went by. I can just imagine, you know, uh, them sitting at the breakfast table and Abraham's having his toast and Sarah was serving him. Maybe it was the other way around. I don't know. Could be. Would be today, probably. And then here comes Hagar, you know, and her stomach's starting to grow a little bit. A few more months go by. She makes sure that Sarah just happens to be looking over. Well, you know, there's some people that have more memory than an elephant. And we know who that is. That's women. They have excellent, <laughs> excellent memories. You know, I heard somebody say, their wife said to them, what did you mean 15 years ago at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you said? I can't remember yesterday. I can't even remember my name sometimes. But ladies, you might be saying the same thing about your husbands. We won't even go there. Can you imagine the harsh words, the tension that went on day after day? I don't know about polygamous relationships, but I do know that one wife is enough. And ladies, you may be saying, well, you know, one husband's enough. Well, that's God's plan. One man, one woman, and their children for life. But the situation got so toxic, so toxic that Hagar ran away from Abraham and Sarah. But this was the place where God met her just where she was at. God not only made a promise to Abraham, he made a promise to Hagar and Ishmael. And it is often when we are at our lowest, when we've really messed up a situation, that God comes in and says, be still and know that I am God. Can you quote that with me this morning? It's on the screen. Be still and know that I am God. I love that verse. Some of you might be right at your wit's end right now, maybe in a certain situation. Remain faithful. Don't give up. Don't mess up. God's answer and his timing is 100%. This is where Hagar, I believe, really came to faith in the Abraham of God and was promised that her son Ishmael would also become a very great nation someday. You know, we can complicate God's plans, but we can never cancel them. We can attempt to help God out. But in the end, he always ends up helping us out. There's a song, maybe you've heard of it, Faithful One, So Unchanging, Ageless One, You Are My Rock of Peace, Lord of All, I depend on you again and again and again and again. And that's the secret, folks, to the Christian life. You don't just call on God when things are going bad. You get up in the morning and you say, I love you, Lord. You get up and you talk to him and you read your Bible and you pray, whether you feel like it or not. You come to church every week, not because you feel like it or not. You make Christian friends. You join Christian organizations. You listen to Christian music. Every one of these things increase your faith. And you call on him again and again and again. Fast forward to chapter 17. God appeared to both Abraham and Sarah to announce, repeat, and complete the promise that he made to them 24 years before. 24 years! Wow! What was their reaction? They laughed. They laughed in unbelief. 
You know, laughter just doesn't represent happiness. Laughter can represent sadness. It can be a question. Have you ever laughed nervously? You're not sure what's going on? Well, I think it was all of the above. They just started to laugh. I mean, look at our bodies. Look at you, Sarah. Look at you, Abraham. Maybe you've done that, husbands and wives. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure it went on because they were very, very elderly. But guess who had the last laugh? God always has the last laugh. If you can put it on the screen, please. Chapter 21, verses 8 to 21. We're going to read this. As I mentioned before, I have the New King James Version, but that's okay. Follow me with what you have. So the child grew, that's Isaac, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman should not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. And guys, that's good advice for anybody. Listen to your wife. I've proven that out. For God said here in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is also your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skid of water. And putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot, for she said to herself, let me not see the death of my boy. So she wept. She sat opposite, lifted her voice and wept. And I can envision the two of them in the heat. No water, no food, no hope, nothing. You can picture that. And then God came. Hallelujah. God came just in the nick of time, as he always does. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad exactly where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad. And he grew and dwelled in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So here we are in verse 8. They were having a party, a great feast, a great party. Everybody likes a party. Everybody's joking. Everybody's jostling. Hey, haven't seen you in a while. How you doing? We lie to one another and say, you know, you look the same as the last time I saw you. I don't know, I guess it's a white lie. I guess if it's in the right context, it's not as bad. That doesn't mean I'm given license to lying. Please don't think that. But they were having a party. They were having a good time. And now that may sound a little strange because Isaac was two to three years old at this time. And the party was for him. It was all about him. And here was his big brother Ishmael sitting there, you know. He's got his hands in his pocket, as kids do. And he's kind of looking there, you know. And he's thinking to himself, 
Yeah, 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 it's not really a big deal. Well, in this culture, having a feast when a child turned two to three years old was a big deal because there was a very high infant mortality rate. So celebrating graduation from babyhood to becoming a toddler so they could eat solid food was a very common thing. A few other realities at this time, 25 years had passed since God announced and fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Sarah. Also, Hagar will have been a part of this family now for probably between 18 and 20 years. Now, Ishmael, although Sarah's stepson, obviously had not formed any sort of a bond with Ishmael, because if they had of, what happened next would have never have happened. Abraham and Sarah and everybody around them now really realized just how special Isaac really was. Ishmael was also old enough to know the facts of life. He would have known, well, he would have known beyond a shadow of a doubt that his little brother was born supernaturally too. A very difficult place for an older son to be. He was used to being number one. In fact, probably when he was small, I'm pretty sure, they told him he was going to be the promised child. But I doubt it if he actually really felt that way most of his life. I doubt it because he was surrogate as we all know. Well, here we go. Abraham was in a a real pickle, with constant friction between two women and two sons. And on this special day, years of pent-up feelings literally exploded on the scene. You know, in layman's terms, Sarah completely lost it. Anyone here ever completely lost it? Don't raise your hand. I think we've all lost it one way or another. Push came to shove that day, and she ordered Hagar and Ishmael out of the house into the desert to meet certain death without divine intervention. Sarah's reasoning, jealousy, plain and simple. Can you not see Sarah right now said, get out. This woman and her son will never be a part of the inheritance of my son. My son was born supernaturally. That boy wasn't. Can you imagine how Abraham felt? It was his flesh and blood. This was his son, almost a man by now. He was used to being number one. Hagar was also a part of the family for a long time. We're told that Ishmael was scoffing at the feast. The New Living Translation has it that he was making fun of his little brother Isaac. Now, we don't really know what Ishmael was doing. He was laughing at something. You know, kids like to laugh. I find the older I get, the more kids laugh at me. I guess just that's the way it is. And I think we've all, as adults, had our kids laugh at us. They laugh nervously. They, they laugh suspiciously. They look at us funny. Maybe that's what Ishmael was doing. We don't know. Maybe somebody was telling them jokes. But whatever happened that day, something tells me at this point, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. There's a few points I want to make this morning. Number one, I want to talk about blended families. Although this was a polygamous family, and there aren't a lot of them today, at least not in this area. I know there are down south. What we do have today are a lot of blended families. Although God's perfect plan is one man, one woman, and their children for life, this often today is not the reality of our culture. It is estimated that up to 40% of modern-day families in North America have at least one partner from a previous relationship with at least one child. There are some sobering statistics today 
with the divorce rates in Canada and the United States. Up to about 40 to 50% of first marriages tragically end in divorce. What's even more tragic than that is up to 70% of blended families. Wow, ouch, that's not very good stats. There was a program in the 70s. Some of you might remember the Brady Bunch. Anybody here? Come on, there's a few people here. I'm not the only old guy around here. Well, you remember the story of the Brady Bunch. You can probably see it on the reruns. There was a lady with three daughters, if I remember. There was a, a fellow with three sons. They got together. And, of course, they had very easy problems to solve. Everything was solvable, you know. Well, that was the Brady Bunch. Unfortunately, though, the reality of life is life isn't that simple. And even as Christians, we're not perfect. But we're given a choice in every single situation. We can do things our way, or we can do things God's way. And I'm convinced that there's no situation or marriage, blended or otherwise, that God cannot solve every single problem if we'll let him. The culmination of Abraham's adultery and both Hagar's and Sarah's pride resulted in events that eventually changed the course of history, far beyond the family breakup that day. 1 Peter 4, 8-9 says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Although Peter is addressing Christians, this equally applies to all family members. Love always conquers hate. The easiest thing in the world to do is to return hate for hate. Anybody can do that. But you know, our Christian walk is a lot like that commercial that was on TV a few years ago. Maybe some of you saw it. There was a, an angel on one side and the devil on the other, and they're both whispering, this is what you should do. Well, you know, that's not too far off the truth. Because as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit resident in our hearts. And when we listen to him, we can avoid a lot of the consequences of our own sins. We are commanded to love. In fact, Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. If you're in a blended family here this morning, know that there is hope. Know no matter what you are facing, no matter what issue you have, if you sincerely get together, pray with that family, get them together and say, Lord, I don't have all the answers. But you do. And you look to him. He will come through every single time. I watched an interview of an elderly couple a few years ago on TV. I believe they had been married very close to 70 years, very frail, and the interviewer was saying to him, man, you guys have been married a long time. What is the secret to your marriage? He very quietly said, I was wrong, she was right, and I'm sorry. <laughs> and then they looked at her, and she repeated the same thing. I was wrong, he was right. And I'm sorry, and that's good advice. Take that to the bank. It works every time. Second point I want to bring out this morning is listen to God, even in your mess and its consequences. After many years of arguing and fighting, it was very clear that Sarah and Hagar were never going to get along. Hagar had no doubt, as I said before, flaunted her pregnancy in front of Sarah for years, and Sarah remembered. This is also about consequences, and now the tables were turned. Instead of running away from Sarah like years before, now Hagar was expelled by force. 
up to this point, this was the most gut-wrenching decision that Abraham ever had to make. His oldest son and his mother would be banished permanently from the household. God had no doubt forgiven Abraham for taking a second wife, but now he was also facing the consequences of his own decisions. It was such a volatile situation that violence and death could have happened at any moment. Abraham was now learning to trust God the hard way. You're not alone if you've ever had to trust God the hard way. Verse 12 says that God ordered Abraham to obey Sarah. Obeying God sometimes can be difficult, but it must be done. In the end, both boys were greatly blessed. There was no more infighting, and as difficult as it was to send Ishmael and Hagar away, Abraham could now devote 100% of his time to telling little Isaac all about God, all about the God of the Bible that he had understood and discovered. When human beings refuse to love and forgive, nothing good happens. It's always better to obey God. Yes, God forgives, but he loves us enough that he lets us suffer our own consequences so that hopefully we will draw closer to him and be obedient and be a blessing to others around us. Something I want to say here this morning, don't confuse forgiveness with consequences. I'm going to say that again. Don't confuse forgiveness with consequences. Although God forgave Abraham for a sin with Hagar, the consequences of that sin descend right down to 2023. The descendants of Isaac the Jews have fought with the descendants of Ishmael the Arabs for centuries. Some of you right now may be facing a difficult personal situation. Whether it's a blended family, whether it's a job situation, an answer to prayer, medical, whatever it is, don't make wrong, ungodly decisions that could negatively not only impact your life, but your kids and their kids and the next generation beyond that. Be faithful. Stay true to God. Your kids are listening to your every word that you say, and they're watching everything you do. Don't make the wrong decisions. Life is messy, but God can take the mess and turn it into a miracle if we'll let him. Can you say that with me? God can take a mess and turn it into a miracle if you let him. Third thing I want to point out this morning is God keeps his promises. There used to be a song many years ago, some of you older folks may remember it, Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our path. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's so true, folks. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. You know, I'm always amazed when People blame God for the mess in the world. You've heard them do that. Or maybe something has happened in their life, very, very personal. Why did God allow this to happen? My answer always is to someone like that, if they ask me, well, what do you expect if you don't have God in your life? Have you asked him? Well, no. Well, it got so serious that I even tried to pray about it. Well, you should have done that in the first place. Because when you do life with God, that doesn't mean you'll have a perfect life, but he'll be with you. Through thick and thin, there's a reason for every single thing that happens in our life. 
Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 is a quick recap of God's promises to Abraham. Land, which they still have today, descendants from his own body, and the redemption of the human race through a Messiah that would eventually be born through Abraham and Sarah. You know, the Christian life is the opposite of the world, folks. But because we still have our old nature within us, of course, there's that struggle to just simply believe and trust God. The world says that seeing is believing. The Bible says believing is seeing. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Kind of reminds me of a little story. Maybe you heard of the little boy in Sunday school, and the Sunday school teacher said, Can anybody give me the definition of faith? Little kid puts up his hand. He said, Yeah. He said, That's believing in something you know isn't true. Well, you know, a lot of Christians actually kind of think that nowadays. You know, we pray, Lord, help my belief, but, or my belief, but my unbelief is so strong. You know, God doesn't ask us to believe in stupid faith, blind faith, ridiculous faith, but faith in the historical person of Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died an atoning death on the cross, resurrected physically from the dead, physically ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and is soon coming again to a disbelieving, ignorant world gone out of control. We serve a risen Savior. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 11, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through a Spirit who dwells in you. You have constant power, but you have to draw on that power. Lord, I pray, I need you every hour. When I wake up in the morning, sometimes I praise God in the shower. Sometimes I praise God driving down the street. Sometimes I praise God even watching the news because I know that this world is not my home. We have an answer. The culture may be out of control, but we're not. The world may not have hope, but we do. And I know that someday the trumpet will sound and we'll be carried away to live forever with him. God gave Abraham a promise. Romans 4 and 3, the Apostle Paul said this, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. I always tell people, if you're struggling in your faith, read your Bible every single day, not just when you feel like it. If you go on your feelings, you won't read it. I'll tell you that right now. It's sort of like the first time maybe you had a cup of coffee. It was a little bit bitter at first, but as you drank that coffee day after day, what happened? You wanted it. You wanted maybe two or three cups, whatever. Read the Bible every day. And as you pray and you read that Bible, if I don't understand things, sometimes I say, Lord, what really happened here? Take me back. Take me back. Show me. I have had supernatural experiences. Now, I've never heard a voice. Don't get me wrong. I've never seen a vision. I've got both feet planted right on the ground. When I get too high, my wife just yanks me back down. But I'm telling you, folks, if you pray and you ask him, and you say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I believe this book. He will honor you every time. He will speak to you. He will give you promises just like he did Abraham. And it may not even look that way in your circumstances, but he honors his word. The third thing is make some Christian friends. Hang around other believers. and Be in his presence. Now, you're never going to be perfect in this life. And Abraham wasn't either. But as time goes on, and you consistently do the things you know you should be doing, you will walk more by faith than by sight. 
as you see the hand of God work more in your life. I want to read that again. You will walk more by faith than by sight as you see the hand of God work in your life. You know, it was never God's plan to have a surrogate son. It was never his plan to have a second wife. But when he did, it was never his plan to have her and Ishmael banished to the hot desert sun to die. God doesn't throw away people. There's not a person under the sound of my voice that he isn't throwing away. He loves every single person here. The Bible says that when we mess up God's perfect plan for our life, he always has a plan B. Did you know that? He's for us. He's not against us. He's always got a plan B. That's because he's our father. He's our father, hallelujah, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you can call on him any time you want. What father here this morning wouldn't do anything for their sons or their daughters? Everybody. And that is our heavenly father reaching out to us. Sometimes I just say, Lord, I need you in this moment. It's too dark. I can't see. And he always, always, always comes through. Disobedience and consequences, however, as I mentioned, always go hand in hand. Because of his earlier choices, harder ones had to be made now. Abraham never thought the day would come when he would have to choose one son over another. It would have been a lot easier if Abraham had never disobeyed God, never wavered in his faith. But when he did, God had another plan. And he still kept his promises with Hagar and Ishmael, who should have never been involved in this story in the first place. As I said before, God doesn't throw away people, and he didn't with Hagar and Ishmael, and he's not throwing away anybody here. When Hagar and Ishmael were in the desert dying of thirst, they thought they were dying of thirst, God intervened. This was the almost identical situation for Hagar in the desert again, like years before when she ran. Years before, God found her by a well of water. This time she was so distraught, so consumed in her circumstances, looking over at her son, a bow shot away. I'm assuming that's two or 300 feet, certainly within eyesight. How could you look at your son and watch him die? It was just tearing her apart. She couldn't see God for the circumstances. And then what happened? God said, Hagar, Ishmael, I'm still here. Did you know that Hagar is the only person in the Bible in chapter 16 and 13? I, had, I should have had this on the screen, but I don't who gave God a name, El Roy, two words, E-L-R-O-I. That's chapter 16, verse 13. That means the God who sees. God sees you folks here this morning. Whatever circumstance you're in, he saw them there. The Bible says in verse 19, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. It is often in the difficult and tragic circumstances of our life that we realize our real need of a Savior. Sometimes God in his mercy allows us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death so that we realize he's all we got. He's all we need. Psalm 119 and 75, King David said, and David went through a lot in his disobedient times. He said, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in your faithfulness you have afflicted me. Whatever you're going through this morning and you love the Lord and you've, you're open with God and you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing, I want you to know you can take this to the bank. God is not throwing you away. God is not forgetting you in your circumstances. He's there. He's El Roy, the God who sees. If you're in the desert and can see no way out, stay true. Worship him. Obey him. 
And I guarantee you he will come through at just the right time. God told Abraham, verse 13, he would make a great nation from Ishmael's descendants as well. And he did. Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations today, as most of you know. Hagar lived in the wilderness of Paran, and tradition has it that she settled back in her native Egypt. The fourth thing and the last thing I want to bring out this morning is the story of Hagar and Sarah is an allegory for the Old and New Testaments. The Apostle Paul addresses this story in Galatians chapter 4. He teaches us a spiritual truth by comparing Hagar and Sarah. Hagar represents the Old Covenant based on law and works. Sarah represents the New Covenant based on grace and the saving work of Jesus Christ. If you're trying to earn your salvation by helping God out with works, well, you're like the children born to Hagar, slaves with no hope of freedom. And we've all met people like that. They, well, I, you know, I think I'm good enough. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as good as, you know, I'm not as bad as that person, whatever. It doesn't work. I, you know, I throw a fin into the offering plate every once in a while. It doesn't work like that. Those who put their trust in Christ are products of Sarah, born supernaturally from above with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to help you make out the proper decisions in your life every day. Galatians 4.30 says this, Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Translation, there is nothing you can do in yourself. That is your flesh to earn salvation. I have a couple of questions here this morning in closing. Do you have the assurance of eternal life? Is it ironclad? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Not that you go to church. Not that you give money in the offering plate. Not that you're a member maybe even of the potter's house. Do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt you'd be with Jesus if something was to happen to you today? And that's why we bring this up every single week. We never want to bring or miss an opportunity without giving an invitation for somebody to come to Christ there's basically five spiritual laws I tell people. Number one, you're a sinner. Number two, you're going to die. Number three, you're going to be judged. Number four, you can't save yourself. Number five, you need Jesus. I would like every head bowed and every eye closed for a minute. And I just want to ask quickly as the worship team would come up. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ or you're not sure of your salvation or Maybe you've wavered in your faith to the point where you've maybe even given up at times and you'd say, Preacher, I'd, I'd like prayer this morning. Could, could you raise your hand if that's you this morning? If you have any sort of inkling at all, you want to be sure of your salvation. I want to lead everybody. I'm not going to center anybody out. Don't, don't ever worry about that. But I want to lead the entire church and the sinner's prayer in a minute or two. We just want to be 100% sure if we were going to eternity today, that we'd be with the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like you to pray this prayer with me this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner and that I need you. And I know, Lord, you bore your sins on the tree for me. Everything I've said, everything I've done, all the bad stuff, Forgive me, Lord, of my sin. I repent of my sin. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Wash me clean. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.